welcome to The Joys of Binge Reading, the show for anyone who ever got to the end of a great book and wanted to read the next instalment. We interview successful series authors and recommend the best in mystery, suspense, historical and romance series, so you'll never be without a book you can't put down. You'll find this episode's show notes, a free ebook, and lots more information at thejoysofbingereading.com. And now, here's our show. Sue-Ann Jafarian holds down a full-time job and still manages to write more popular mysteries than many full-time writers. Hi there, I'm your host Jenny Wheeler and today mystery author Sue-Ann Jafarian explains how she does it and what she's learned about staying healthy as a top producer. But before we hear from Sue-Ann, just a reminder, the show notes for this binge reading episode can be found at the website thejoysofbingereading.com. That's where you'll find links to Sue-Ann's books, website, and details about how to contact her on social media, as well as a free ebook and information on how to subscribe to our podcast if you're enjoying it. But now, here's Sue-Ann. Welcome to the show, Sue-Ann. It's lovely to have you with us. Oh, thank you very much. Thanks for asking. Now, the Adelia Gray Mysteries, I think they were your first mysteries and perhaps also your most popular. And you've produced one of those a year consistently since 2008, as well as working full-time as a paralegal. And I know you've done other work around that. So I'm just saying to myself, wow, you must be extremely well-organized. Um, when it comes to my writing, I am. Nothing else, no. But, uh, you know, it's like I always tell people who ask me about that, especially budding writers, if you make a schedule, you stick to it, and it's amazing what you can get done in a short amount of time. And it looked like you just basically turned on a switch. I mean, was there a a a once-upon-a-time moment when you decided, I'm going to be a writer? Well, I always wanted to be a writer, I mean, even as a little kid, but it was one of those things that was kind of, you know, a dream. It it wasn't something that my parents encouraged because they thought writers would starve, and they're not, they weren't that far off from that. If I didn't have my paralegal job, I probably would starve. Um, but, you know, all of a sudden, even though over the years I had this, I'm going to be a writer, I'm going to write at least one novel, in my mid-40s or early 40s, I was engaged to a man and broke it off. And all of a sudden, I took stock of my life. Here I was about 42, 43, and I took stock of my life and realized, you know, I have never pursued any of my life's dreams. So I made a list of them, and at the top was a writer. And from that point on, I never looked back. Wow, that's an amazing story. That's a a real turning lemons into lemonade story, isn't it? Yeah, I mean, it's... I, you know, it was a horrible relationship, it turned out, but I'm glad, I mean, that I was writing when we were together, but I really didn't get the kick in the butt until a few years after we broke up. And Odelia sounds quite a lot like Sue. She's, for a start, she's middle-aged, she's got curvy dimensions, and she also works as a paralegal. So where do the similarities begin and end? Well, I have a pat answer for that, but it's a truthful one. It's um, She dresses better and she swears less. <laughs> I mean, she's a paralegal like I am, um, but, you know, 
she's a lot more, I don't want to say grounded, but she's a lot nicer than I am, I think. Uh, and she's a little more, I don't know what the word is. I mean, like I said, she dresses better and swears less. Um, but, you know, they, I don't know what to say. It's like she's married. Um, she has a relationship with her family, which my mom and dad are both passed along, passed over, uh, passed away. What am I saying? Passed away. Um, but I guess we think a lot alike. I mean, let's face it, a lot of what comes out of her mouth comes right out of my brain. if not full blown. You know, I mean, it's not something I really have to work hard at putting her thoughts on paper. Sure. Now, the paralegal job, I wonder if your employers get nervous about the idea that things that happen at work might end up in books. How do you cover that one off? Well, you know, it's funny because when I first started working at the firm I'm at, which was right after I got published, um, they had no idea where this would go. They thought, oh, isn't she cute? You know, I was interviewing and they're like, right, right, isn't she cute? And I assured them nothing from the firm would ever show up because that's a breach of confidentiality. Um, but anyway, as the years went on, I've been with them almost 12 years. And as the years went on and the books kept coming out and out and out and out, then they were like, holy moly, you know. Um, but they are assured, I assured them early on, and they feel very confident that nothing that happens in the firm shows up in the books. And nothing does. And I was, it was really, besides, law is really very boring. <laughs> and Odin's pieces are not. I mean, I work in healthcare law. I mean, it's like watching paint dry. And um, and Odin is always, even though her job, when I do describe it, sounds pretty boring like mine, she goes out and does things. So the cases don't have anything to do with her job except once in a while. Yeah, that's right. I, I've read several of them, actually, and none, none of the ones that I've read does her job feature very prominently. No, I had one interviewer once, though, was determined to get me to admit that I use clients and stories of clients in my books. I mean, and I kept saying to her, and it was on TV, it was on a cable show, and I kept saying, no, I would never do that. It's a breach of confidentiality. It'd be very unprofessional. And she said, oh, come on, come on. And she kept egging me until I finally turned on her and said, stop it. I'm telling you the truth. So just stop it. Yeah. And she was never friendly to me after that because I showed her up on our TV show. <laughs> but then I was a little, little watch cable show. You know, <laughs> I didn't really care. But it was the truth. I put nothing nothing in the books that have anything to do with my book. And of course, Odelia is only one of your series. You've got um, The Ghost of Granny Apples, the Paranormal series. You've been producing a book a year of those since about 2009. And then, as if that wasn't enough, you, you added Madison Rose and Running Wild Romances. So you've really got your hands full. Uh, and short stories, and some short stories. Um, you know, it, it's... Uh... I don't know. It's just really, I don't know. Um, I just would tackle, well, I do know. It just about put me in my grave. Uh, you know, Jenny, I'm, I'll be 65 this year. This is uh, the first Christmas. I won't have a deadline. And I'm looking forward to it. <laughs> uh, <laughs> I have no deadlines right now. I have gone totally independent. I just turned in, excuse me, I just turned in the last Odelia to my publisher. 
And it's not the last of it. It's the last to them. Yes. And I fully intend to continue that series as well as Granny Apples. Penguin has cut Granny Apples, so I'm now indie with them. And everything that comes out from me, unless something unusual happens, now is going to be on my timetable. So, I mean, there were times in the last several years that I made myself sick because I was burning the candle at both ends. And, uh, you know, it really did. You know, a lot of my friends were quite concerned because here I was working a full-time job and cranking out these books and I had no life. Yeah. And now I'm looking forward to cranking out books uh, still. But if things get a little, I feel a little stressed or, uh, you know, just kind of what cornered by it, I can take some time off. And still keep my day job, you yeah, know. Yeah. There hits there comes a point when you just can't do it anymore. The running wild romances are a slight departure for you, I think. Oh, Winnie Wild. Winnie Wild. Yeah. What inspired your you, you to, to write Winnie Wild? Well, you know, I had an idea for a novel uh, about a woman who uh, is cast aside, a woman in fifty who gets cast aside by her husband. Uh, for a younger woman, and how instead of turning to selling real estate, she um, she reinvents herself, or I should say, brings out what was once there, re- rediscovers herself, and um, goes about and builds herself a whole new life. And then when I started writing them, I thought, you know, I'm not sure these are. It's a novel. I, I have I had such plans for it that. This would either be too big of a novel, uh, so I cut it into novellas, into like bites of pieces. So right now there are two novellas out. Um, after the first year, I'll be getting the third one out, and I have three more after that to write. And then that series will be over. Uh, it's a, it's a six-story arc, and no more after that. And I noticed that you've given an explicit sexual encounters warning on it too. So I did <laughs> because, you know, my granny apples is very, what they would call in the business cozy and Odelia, there's not a whole lot of sex and violence in those. And, uh, but there's more adult themes. And a lot of my readers get upset. Like when I brought out the vampire novel, um, several readers were extremely upset with the violence and sexual innuendos in it. And so on this one, I thought, I'm just going to be very blatant about it and say, no, if you can't, you know, and my attitude is that readers should be responsible for their own reading. So if you see a picture of a naked woman on a cover, please don't think it's a cozy. And, um, you know, read the description because I had a lot who got very fussy over some things. Uh, to do with Madison Rose. And I'm about, you see a woman on the cover with bite neck, bites on her neck. You read the back cover, you know there's vampires and it's going to be gory. Why are you busting my chops? You know, pay attention to the book covers. Um, so just to be on the safe side, I'm very careful about branding the, um, the Winnie Wilde and say, you know, graphic sex. And if people don't write me and complain, they don't know how to read. That's right. And uh, <laughs> I mean, that sounds kind of that sounds kind of harsh against the readers. I love my readers, but I can't be responsible for what they read. I can only hand out 
what I've written. And then they have to be responsible for what they pick. That's right. I guess that's why some writers choose to write under another name if they're, if they're switching genres. Exactly, which brings me to one of your other questions that you sent me about Meg Chambers. Um, Meg Chambers is not a person. It's me. Uh, originally, my agent loved the Winnie Wild series, which is, I think you need to bring that under another name. So I picked the name Meg Chambers because my mother's name was Margaret Chambers. So... Um, I picked that name, and the book hardly sold. Uh, the little novellas hardly sold. So I rebranded them. As soon as um, I saw I was not going to do any more with uh, traditional publishers, and actually Penguin, I don't think, would have minded at all, but just to be on the safe side. And then I rebranded them with my name. So the ones you see on Amazon now are Sue Andrew Farian, but Amazon won't let me get rid of Meg Chambers. It's making me crazy. Um, but... Um, the future ones will only have my name on it. So I went and put my name on it and sales increased. Sure, that was why I thought it must be a collaboration because I saw the name Meg Chambers on it. That's right. Right, right. Nope, it wasn't. And it was just, but when I rebranded them, it was recommended to me that I leave that name on. So if people had only, had never read Granny or Odelia, when they, if they were looking for the next Meg Chambers book, they would see it on there. So, but the next one's not. The next ones will just be my name. And have you been happy with the way they've been received? I mean, I know that there's a strong feeling that middle-aged women should be able to have a decent love life, but sometimes it just, it really is quite challenging the, um, the conventions to, to write about that, isn't it? It, it is. And, uh, you know, the funny thing is on that, they haven't sold that well. They had sold better with my name on it, but they're still slow in sales. But I attribute a lot of that to there's been over a year since I wrote the last one. I haven't had the time to market them. But now that I'm not under contract to a publisher, I can give more attention to it. Um, my agent, I had a long con uh, conference call with her recently. And we were talking about it. I said, should I just end that series now? Just you know, not waste my time. And she said, no, it's a great series. I think if you get out a few more, they'll catch on. So, um, and she's had some interest overseas in them, but they want to see more of them because they're so short. So um, the plan with, uh, with Winnie is actually to get out the third one. And then I'm going to put them in a print uh, anthology, three of them in one book. And then when I write the next three, they'll go in a print as well as an ebook. So um, I do plan over the next year or so finishing those up. Then I'll move on to something else. <laughs> <laughs> yes, it's interesting. You know, I heard Joanna Weil, uh, Joanna Penn on her podcast a few weeks ago saying that there'd been research done that showed that people had to read 3.7 books of somebody before they really got to, un to appreciate their name or really get sold into the series. So your feeling that you should be doing three or four or five is probably exactly right. And, you know, it is funny. Uh, I'll tell you, Jenny, it surprises me. I've been around forever. If I feel like I've been around forever. I have like 25 books out in the market. Um, but it is really funny how often I still get emails from people who are just now discovering me. Yeah, you know, somebody they see me in the library, they see one of my books at the library, or a friend recommends it. 
Um, and they're just now discovering me. And I have, you know, the 12th Odelias coming out in two months. And they're just now discovering me. So um, yeah. it's really fascinating because you would think, well, I've kind of, you know, uh, you know, petered out my market, but I haven't. Um, and the same with granny. I have a granny, an independent granny coming out next year, the end of next year. And people are clamoring for more granny. Now, the sales, you know, they were cut by Penguin. The sales weren't up to Penguin's figures, but they certainly will be up to mine. You know, um, when you have a big publisher, they're looking for, you know, 30, 40, 50,000 copies sold. And when you're an independent, it'd be nice to have that, but it's not a requirement to keep it going. Absolutely. And that's the other trend in the publishing industry that I've been hearing about is that the midlist authors are being really cut back. So um, it's probably a very good career move for you to go indie. It really is. Yeah, even my agent. I mean, a lot of agents uh, don't like that. I've had a lot of friends who said their agents uh, cut them when they went indie or didn't want them anymore. And my agent's very gung-ho because she feels there's still work out there that we can sell to publishers. But in the meantime, keep Granny and Odelia going. They're, you know, they're my signature series, in particular Odelia. <laughs> and actually, Granny sells more than... It's so funny. Um, Granny actually is my most popular series in sales. But I think Odelia is more popular in how beloved it is by the readers. Oh, that's lovely. That's lovely. Now, just turning away from writing for a moment, you're also a motivational and humorous speaker. and You seem like a total overachiever. I wonder, how did you get that side of your career started? Well, that just came about from being a published author and getting asked, you know, will you be at this library event? Can we bring you to this luncheon? Can we? And, um, and if you do well, they spread the word. Uh, amongst their organizations and libraries, saying, here's somebody who's really good to have speak. And, uh, and that's what happened. You know, it just built from there. I haven't done this year. I cut back on everything, uh, except for a couple of library events because I was tying up a series. I've been busy at work. Um, I co-chaired a big conference. I didn't have time, but I'm planning on getting back on that next year and particularly in a couple of years when I retire and have more time. I intend to travel and take my show on the road, you know, um, so people can get to meet me. I get a lot of uh, complaints from readers because I don't travel, but I don't have time. I don't have the time. So in a few years, that'll be different. I'll be out there so much they'll be sick of me. Tell me, what drew you to mysteries and why do you think that mysteries are so popular? Behind romance, I think they're one of the most popular genres, yeah. Yeah, right behind romance they are. Um, honestly, I was not a big mystery reader at all until I started writing them. Uh, I wrote originally, a, um, I wrote two general fiction novels. And my agent at the time, not the same lovely person I am now, um, she couldn't sell them. We were shortlisted with a couple of major publishers, but they never sold. And she said, you need to get in the mystery. So, and I'm thinking, I didn't even consider writing mystery. So I uh, bought up dozens and dozens of mystery novel series by women and read them. 
And that was my introduction and training. And then I took uh, Too Big to Miss, um, was actually a non-mystery novel originally. And I took that, turned it into a mystery novel, and voila, here I am. Fantastic. Yeah, but I still want to write some non-mystery novels. I have one that's almost finished that I've been working on here and there, piddling around with it for several years, that my agent said, how soon can he get that finished? She wants to sell that so bad. Um, she she wants to she doesn't want me to go indie with it unless we cannot sell it. Um, but it is a non non mystery novel. Well, you sound like you're really well set up. You've got the agent there, and you can have a hybrid career, can't you? Yes, and that's that's actually what I think is best for authors, is particularly authors with a big book list behind them. Backlist is. Do some with publishers and some on your own. What do readers tell you they like best about your series? Oh, uh, boy, I didn't have to think about that. They like the characters the best. They, um, I hear this all the time. Um, readers say the characters are so real, they feel like they can go out and have coffee with them. Yeah. That's a great, great point of pride for me. If people are saying they want to go have coffee with Odelia or they want to date her husband or... Um, you know, they, they want to meet Granny. That tells me that I'm on track. They're not cardboard characters. Sure. Even the Rose, I mean, I had a lot of people write and say, I could have sworn those vampires were real. <laughs> you know, they, that they were real people walking at, amongst us here in Los Angeles because I didn't make them sparkle and I didn't make them you know, fly all over the place and things like that. They they were actually like normal people, but they were vampires. Yeah. And uh, and I that is a great source of pride for me that uh, I get hearing that all the time, that it's the character development, that they bring them back over and over. It's not the mystery. It's the, my books are character-driven. And um, it has to have a good mystery, but they're character-driven. They want to revisit those characters again and again and again. One of the poignant things about Odelia is, well, it's a lovely thing, the relationship with her husband. It seems like a really genuine love that they have for one another, but just that slightly unusual extra factor that he's in a wheelchair. What led you to decide to to do that, to make Greg um, a wheelchair-bound person? In one of the non-mystery novels, the, um, the second one I ever wrote that never saw the light of day, almost got purchased, almost, by a couple of different publishers. But at the end, when they turned it down and told my then-agent why, they, they loved the character of Greg Stevens. That was a recurring theme. They loved the character of Greg Stevens in, um, in the second novel I ever wrote. So when I needed a love interest for Odelia, I just poached him from that book. And I've never looked back. It's been great. <laughs> he, he brings a different look to it. You know, he, um, he sees things differently. He's on a different level, height-wise. He, he has experience being invisible because we don't always notice people in wheelchairs. Um, I, and her mixed with her weight, who often overweight people are also considered invisible. The two of them together make a perfect team. And I've never, I mean, I, and it was just that all these rejection notices were saying how much they love Greg Stevens. So I knew he had to come into one of my other books. 
and here he is. That's wonderful. Great. I wondered if you had a very close friend or someone in that situation because it is told in a really empathetic way. Uh, no, but what I did when I decided to write a main character with uh, who was a paraplegic, I actually interviewed a lot of men who were paraplegics and some quadriplegics on every aspect of their life. And there was one gentleman um, that I actually got to follow him around for several hours, several days. And I saw how he lived, how he got dressed, everything. He was so um, accommodating. He wanted to get the story out there that he's normal. He's normal. He was a bit of a stinker, but he was adamant that people saw him as normal. And, um, and so I was very grateful. I probably followed him three or four days at four hours at a time. I saw him working. I saw him playing. I saw him all doing all this stuff. And then, like I said, a lot of other men also offered up interviews. And then I purchased a couple of books on how to live in a wheelchair, uh, written for people who have become now wheelchair bound. So um, I studied up on it because it had to be done right. You can't take such a sensitive topic and not do it right. So moving away from the focus on your specific books, to a wider view of your writing life, is there one thing you've done in your writing career more than any other that's been the secret to your success? Yes, and that was just keeping my focus on getting the job done. Um, I never I never once thought, I don't like this, I'm not doing it. I, I was determined to stay on the path and get it done. So I guess that would be it, just maintaining my focus and keeping my eye on the goal. And of course, having Odelia contracted for 12 books, um, part of that I couldn't give up. I'd be on breach of contract, you know. Um, but I really think it is just once I found my niche, just staying on the path and seeing it through. I mean, I gave up a lot of social things and I, you know, if I needed to write, I, writing came first. Sure. Uh, the day job had to come first because I had to be there. But outside of the day job, the writing always came first. Nothing else came first ahead of it. Tell me, is there a mystery in your own life? This is a sort of funny little question, but just to throw it in there for fun. A mystery in your own life which could provide the plot line for a book? Not really. I mean, I, I live kind of a, uh, I'm kind of a, I don't want to say a hermit. I'm very outgoing, but I tend to spend a lot of time alone. And I think that's normal for a writer. Um, but no, not really. Um, there's snippets of my life in Odelia's books. Um, there are snippets in my life in the upcoming uh, novel that I'm finishing. There are snippets in my life in another novel I'm going to write. But there's no big dramatic uh, secret in my life or mystery for me to focus on and write about. Turning to Sue Ann, the reader, and I, you may not have much time for reading with everything else that you do, but have you ever in your past life um, binge read or found a reader that you just wanted to read, ev a writer, you wanted to read everything they'd written? Yes. Um, you know, you're right. I, uh, I always have a couple of books going on at a time. But I don't always have time to read a print book or a Kindle. I tend to read only on Kindle because 
I don't have uh, the space for all the books. But um, I don't always have time for it because I'm tired at the end of the day. You know, I start my day very early with my writing. But I love audiobooks. And uh, but getting back to your question about binging, um, when I first started reading The Hunger Games, I never stopped till I got all three done. Yeah, read those every minute I had. Um, but the same happened uh, uh, just a couple of years ago. I I had never read Michael Connelly, and I thought Michael Connelly, my gosh, you know. And people were just looking at me, going, "How can you say you've never read Michael Connelly?" I said, "I just." Never have. So I got his first book and I went through his entire series until I was caught up. Amazing. And I read no one else, no one else until I was caught up. I read them, I listened to them on audio, and I never read anything else until I was caught up with Michael Connelly. <laughs> and now I am. That's great. Uh, and I've read I've read all of Diana Gabaldon's uh, Outlander series, not the not the companion books, but all of the actual series. Sure, you've alluded to it earlier, but you've got some big changes coming in in your life in a couple of areas. You're going partly indie, so you've got a publishing label, I think that you've uh, that you're going to be publishing under, and you've got travelling plans. Could you tell us a little bit about those new um, projects? Absolutely. I'm so excited about this that I wish it was happening sooner, but it's not. Um, I'm retiring, and my dream for retirement is to buy an RV and travel this beautiful country, uh, visiting my readers, talking to them, uh, interacting with them, selling them books, um, and also my writer friends. I have so many writer friends all over the country, and we've talked about doing things together. Um, my, uh, my novel or uh, my RV, my plans for travel. Ooh, I lost you. There you were. My plan is it's called the novel RV and uh, I have a logo and everything. And my future indie books will all be tagged as being from the novel RV. And so, uh, probably in about a year and a half, a little over a year and a half, the novel RV will be hitting the road. <laughs> Sounds fantastic. Yeah, if all goes according to plan, uh, in about a year and a half or a little at, over that, sometime in uh, spring, hopefully, of 2019 or definitely by summer, I want to be in an RV living, living in an RV and traveling all over the United States um, with my books and my writing and, you know, and going off into a national park and seeing the national parks and spending a few days there in solitude, writing and writing and writing, and then coming back and doing more speaking gigs and disappearing and writing and writing and writing. And to me, that's a dream job. That's a dream life. It certainly sounds very attractive. <laughs> Doesn't it? So I'm anxious because I want it to happen now, but I can't, you know, I have to wait until I'm able to retire. And, uh, but I have a countdown on that. In fact, Everybody laughs at this, and you can laugh all you want. But um, from today, my target date is 471 days away. Absolutely fantastic. Yeah, I saw on a blog a while ago, it was 500 days to retirement, you put. <laughs> it's now at 471. Now, that's not, you know, and my office knows it. My office knows that I'm biting at the bit to leave, and, and it has nothing to do with them. Um but, you know, it may not be exactly 471. It may be 500 from today, but 
Uh, that's the target. Wonderful, Sue Ann. Wonderful. Well, look, we're coming to the conclusion of our chat. So, could I just ask you, where can people find you online? And if they want to connect up with you, what's the best way to do that? You know, uh, my website is uh, Um uh, My blog is uh, Babble and Blog on Blogger. So it's uh, sueanjafarian.blogger.com. Um, but I'll tell you where I'm most active is on um, Facebook. Uh huh. You're a real Facebook fan, are uh, you? Yeah. Well, uh, some of my readers don't like me on Facebook. Um, <laughs> <laughs> I I have a uh, a fan club on Facebook that is very active, and I highlight other writers there. They talk about books they're reading. They talk about my books. I run all my contests through it. Everybody loves it. There's uh, quite a, a couple of thousand uh, people on there now. Um, I'm trying to think. Uh, I think it's like 2,200 people or something like that. Um, oh, that's great. Yeah, it's really, um, I'm trying to see the exact count. We've been very excited about it, and um, the fans love it. And like I said, that's the only place I run contests. So when I give away character names in a book or if I uh, give away books or when I launch books, that's where I do it. I have a also a Sue Angeferian author page, but um, I just post things about books there. I don't spend time there. I, I just post things about books. And then I have my private one. And my private one is, oh, I'm sorry, my club is 1,258 members. Okay, 1,258. I have uh, about 3,000 on my personal page. Um, and then... Um, like I said, I have a personal Facebook page, and there I talk about everything from my cat pooping on the carpet to what a bad day I'm having to my particular liberal brand of politics. And that's where some of my readers aren't real happy with me. But I tell them, if you're not happy, go to the fan club or go to my author page and leave this page alone. Because you only put your political views on your personal page. I only put them on my personal page. Only. And um, and they seem happy with that. Some still aren't. I, I lost uh, I lost quite a few. No, not quite a few. A dozen or so uh, followers when um, I came out so vehemently against Trump. Um, I lost some when I walk, walk, marched in the women's march. I mean, it's just you know they're expressing their opinion. I'm expressing mine. But um, so there are three places on Facebook to find me. But the most popular is either the fan club or my personal page. Well, that's wonderful, Sue Ann. Look, it's been great talking today. It really has. Oh, I loved it, Jenny. You keep writing. <laughs> I will. I, I, you know, I always say I'm going to keep writing until they put a toe tag on me, you know? <laughs> yes, that's wonderful. Look, thanks so much for your time. Thank you. You have a good day down under. Thank you, dear. Bye. Thanks for listening to the Joys of Finch Reading podcast. You can find all the details and links for this episode at www.thejoysoffinchreading.com. We'd love to hear your comments and suggestions for who you'd like us to interview next. And if you enjoyed the show, take a moment to subscribe on iTunes or a similar provider so you won't miss out on future guests. Thanks for joining us and happy reading.
The Joys of Binge Reading podcast is put together with fantastic technical help from Dan Cotton and Abe Raffles. Dan is an experienced sound and video engineer who's ready and available to help you with your next project. Seek him out at dcaudioservices at gmail.com. That's D for Daniel, C for Charlie, audio services at gmail.com or check our show notes. He's fast, he takes pride in getting it right and he's great to work with. Our voiceovers are done by Abe Raffles, another gem of sound and screen. Abe has 20 years of experience on both sides of the camera slash microphone. As a cameraman director and also as a voice artist and TV presenter. I think you'd agree that his voice is both light-hearted and warm. He is super easy to work with no matter what the job. You'll find him at Abe, A-B-E, at pointandshoot.co.nz. As I say, the full details in the show notes on the website. That's it for now. Thanks for listening. Hopefully see you next week. Bye.